And I have some announcements. We have a Ganeshbury weekend and intensive coming up on the 1st to the 3rd of October. We will also be celebrating Baba Muktananda's Mahasamadhi during that weekend on the 2nd of October. Bookings are now open for the Ganeshbury weekend and intensive and you can visit satsanglive.com.au for details. And at 7.15 on the 16th of October, there will be a free live satsang. This satsang is online and open to everyone. So start telling your friends and family now and we can all enjoy a wonderful satsang together. Free upward shift meditations on Instagram are happening daily during lockdown. They are at 8.30am Melbourne time. So join our ashram teachers for a great start to your day. We're going to continue our recently established custom of doing the Guru's Stotram followed by the universal prayer that all beings may be happy that in this time of profound confusion and anxiety uh, that Shiva's grace comes to everyone. So let's begin. Shri Gurave Namah 
Welcome, everyone, to tonight's program. And uh, that last bit is called uh, the Universal Prayer. And uh, we used to do that every day in the Ganesh Ashram. And something struck me about that prayer, uh, extraordinary generosity of spirit. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May everyone see only auspicious sight. May everyone banish pain and sorrow. May everyone overcome all the difficulties. Such well-wishing for everyone. Cows, Brahmins, everybody. Uh, <clears throat> may blessings fall on our mother and father. May all our endeavors flourish. Uh, may we be protected together. May we enjoy the fruits of our actions together. May we achieve strength together. May our knowledge be full of light. May we never have enmity for one another. Such generosity of spirit, something we sorely need in this time of stress. And I was thinking today that our time is characterized more than anything by fear. Everybody's afraid of something. Some people are afraid of the disease. Some people are afraid of the vaccine. Some people are afraid of their shadows. Uh, everyone is afraid of something. And as uh, one of the American presidents said, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Fear, Bob used to say that anger can make you mad. And fear can do the same thing. Fear can become a universal paranoia in which everything is terrifying. Uh, and so it's important to take refuge at the feet of the guru, take refuge at the feet of God, take refuge that God, and understand that God is in control of everything, and everything will be all right. What's the worst case scenario we used to ask in New York? You could die. That's not so bad either. So don't worry about anything. As the song goes, don't worry, be happy, and everything will be all right. So, that's a high bar to actually uh, remember that. And it's a bar that has been leaped over by the great beings. And at these programs every Saturday night, uh, my subject is always the teachings and the life of the great beings. These are the great beings who attained the ultimate. They conquered their fear. They conquered their anger. They conquered their attachment. They conquered their jealousy. They conquered all the negative emotions inside them and attained the pristine and beautiful self within them. And then they turn to us and say, you can do this too. You have the same capacity that we have. And you can find this within yourself. And they said, here's how to do it. The Buddha said that. The Buddha said, there's suffering, but it can be overcome. Here's how to do it. And the yogis all tell us, hey, here's how to do it. They tell us, hey, you're not who you think you are. You're not this miserable bundle of fear and terror, um, puling and whining and groveling. You are Shiva. You are Brahma. You are the self of all. So realize that. So that's why... I like to celebrate the great beings. This is my greatest discovery in life, that they were great beings, they exist on earth, 
and they show a path that every one of us uh, can lead to the self. And my own guru used to say at the beginning of every program, he used to welcome people by saying in Hindi, Sabko with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. With great respect for you knowing that the divine flame of God dwells within every person. And with great love, because love is our very nature, I welcome you with all my heart, because to welcome another person is the highest dharma. So in that spirit, I welcome you all. And tonight is a very important event in Australia. <laughs> it's called the Grand Final. Uh, and it happens every year. And it's the, the final, it's uh, the Super Bowl, the World Series of Australian Rules Football, which uh, many of you from foreign countries may not know what that is, but it's a, a variety of... Uh, Football, wonderful variety of football, and it's uh, it's uh, followed passionately by uh, people in Australia. And tonight's the big final, and it's it's uh, we're uh, competing with it. It's happening now. That doesn't mean you can turn on your device right now. You can record it for later. Um, <clears throat> but um, uh, it's my tradition on the grand final night is always to uh, do a program on Zen so that everyone can be calm, because everyone seems very uh, uh, head up about it here. So be calm, and we'll enjoy the grand final program tonight. <clears throat> Zen Buddhism is my, uh, is my subject tonight. <clears throat> and uh, uh, two sages, one is an ancient sage, <clears throat> Dogen Zenji. There he is. That's the best photograph we have of him. He lived uh, around uh, the beginning of the 13th century. And he's the, uh, he brought uh, Zen in, from China to Japan, where it took root and became, it was known as Chan then, and uh, took root and became Zen as we as we know it now. So he's one of our, uh, <clears throat> our sages tonight. Um, Zen is a wonderful path. That's, we can put him. <clears throat> it always appealed to me. Uh, mainly, there, Zen is mainly, if you study it, the stories of interactions between gurus and disciples. I always love stories of gurus and disciples, and the Zen, the Zen gurus are very strange beings indeed. Their teachings are enigmatic and mysterious, and very uh, it's seemingly arbitrary, uh, and yet uh, and humorous. So very interesting stories. Uh, one of the things about Zen is that it's anti-conceptual. It's suspicious of ideas. It doesn't like philosophy. There's not a big philosophy in Zen. It says, just shut up and do the practice. And don't have theories. This is a time, I think, where theories have run wild. Everybody has a theory about something. And when you have a theory, then you think you're right and everybody else is wrong. 
and then you go and hysterically attack everyone else, and then everyone else attacks you, uh, and then you uh, lose your equanimity and lose your harmony and uh, go mad eventually. So then there's very, very refreshing attitude towards theories that don't have one. <clears throat> its emphasis is simply being present and meditating. Uh, <clears throat> it uh, talks about living very simple life, not a complex life made complicated by the way we think about it, but simply being with whatever we're doing, just being present with it and doing whatever we're doing. If we're having tea, have tea. If we're chopping wood, chopping wood, carrying water. This is chop wood and carry water, the Zen masters say. And its meditation form is called zazen, which it can be translated as just sitting. You just sit there. Everyone wants uh, to learn the rules of meditation. You know, people are terrified when they hear about meditation. What do you mean? Sit there, Mars? Well, and the Zen master will say, just sit. Just sit. <clears throat> and <clears throat> so uh, one of the things I like about Zen is that long before Edward de Bono lived, uh, Zen invented lateral thinking. I can't explain what lateral thinking is. You have to think laterally. Uh, it means, uh, it means that nothing goes in a straight, logical line, but it's always making leaps and strange things and uh, blowing your mind constantly. So Zen is always uh, doing that. <clears throat> to sum it up, I have a very good summary of Zen. This is one summary. Somebody wrote, Zen is have, have what you already have, know what you already know, be who you already are. That is Zen. <laughs> have what you already have. So there's nothing to strive for. We torture ourselves with desire and, and uh, fantasy and also memory and regret and so many things. Zen says, you're out of harmony with what is. Just be content with what's in front of you. Have what you already have. If you're going to get something different or more, it's good to begin with where you are. Come to full acceptance of your life as it is. Understand that you have in some way created the life you now have. Take responsibility for it and be simply one with it. Know what you already know. I used to stand in the college bookstore and have a panic attack. I was like the nowhere man in the Beatles film. So little time, so much to know. I wanted to know everything in there. I used to have anxiety attacks. Um, and be who you already are. We're all so into certain kind of self-discovery and self-revelation. You're already it. You are that. You will uh, uh, never be any different, no matter how much you strive and all the attain, no matter uh, what happens in your life, you'll still be who you are. So be what you already are. So this is Zen. <clears throat>
Dogen Zenji. Let me tell you a little bit about Dogen, Dogen Zenji. I told you he first brought Zen to Japan. Uh, at a young age, it is said that he was assailed by the following doubt. <clears throat> he said, both the esoteric and internal doctrines of the Buddha teach that enlightenment is inherent in all beings from the outset. Everyone is the Buddha. If this is so, why do all the Buddhas, past and present and future, seek enlightenment? That's a very good question. It shows a very um, uh, philosophical bent. So, you know, Zen, Zen or Buddhism is saying, we're all Buddha nature. Then it says, strive hard for enlightenment. But then when you get it, it's, it's nothing new. It's what you already have. It's very weird. <clears throat> so he said, this doubt clearly pointed to a dualistic contradiction between the ideal and the actual. There's not just one thing, but two things. What you are, and then what you think should be. We, we imagine a better society, a better me, a more slim and uh, well-dressed me, a richer me, a more accomplished me, a me that people appreciate more. We imagine all these things. <clears throat> so there's a, a duality, he says. Uh, and so this anguish arose in him because he has deep nature. He couldn't resolve this doubt. So he could have gotten drunk. He could have taken a drug. But instead he looked for a guru. Good choice. And he found one in China. <clears throat> and he attained... So he went uh, from Japan, he went to China, studied with the Chinese sage, and attained realization at a young age in which it said he went beyond dualistic thinking and experienced the bliss of the Buddhist truth. When you're caught in dualistic thinking, in argument and passionately held positions, and you're fighting and Inside you, there's a struggle and, a, and strife. And if you look at yourself honestly, you'll see that your insides are churning with your belief system fighting against some other belief system. And you have to go beyond that and let that whole argument go. And then you can collapse into peace. Then there's bliss. We imagine that there'll be bliss if we have all our social uh, programs implemented this is what happened to John Stuart Mill. John Stuart Mill uh, was an idealist and he wanted certain reforms, political and social reforms made. And one day he was sitting there and he asked himself, if I got all these reforms made, everyone was conscious. Everyone divided their garbage into uh, uh, what? Uh, recycled and uh, whatever, all these things. And, uh, and everyone, uh, no one uh, used uh, plastics. And everyone was, you know, did the right thing. Would I then be happy? And the answer came to him very clearly, wouldn't be happy. Because those external things will never make us happy. 
but happiness can only be found where it lives, which is inside. <clears throat> so anyway, he got to this, uh, Dogen Zenji attained that place inside. He went back to Japan uh, in order to spread Buddhism and help everyone. He was burning with enthusiasm. And so he's the greatest religious figure and creative thinker in Japanese uh, spiritual history. Uh, he wrote and taught in Japan so everyone could do it. And his teachings were very practical. Here are some of his teachings. <clears throat> he always uh, connected knowledge and action together. Yana and Kriya, we would say in Shaivite terms. He taught human beings' real nature is what we call the Buddha mind or Buddha nature. Bodhidharma, who's the man who brought, the monk who brought uh, the teachings of Buddhism from India to China, Bodhidharma taught us to believe that all mankind is endowed with this nature inherently. <clears throat> Belief of this nature is called, uh, I don't know if my Japanese is very good, Honcho no Anjin, whatever that pronunciation really is, which is tranquil mind of original enlightenment. I love these statements, tranquil mind of original enlightenment. Now look for a moment within. Go inside. You have, you have agitated mind of neurotic human being, but somewhere behind it, in a little corner of it, at the center of it, you also have tranquil mind of original enlightenment. Just go there for one second. Find tranquil mind of original enlightenment. That's exactly the place the Buddha discovered when he became enlightened. It's not, uh, it's not a, a thing that you build or create. It's you discover that it's already there and learn to hang out in it rather than in the neurotic mind of human being. So he goes on, or will go on. <clears throat> so Dogen Zenji said that since we're in a state of enlightenment from the outset, then our meditation, zazen, cannot be a means to attain enlightenment. It's already enlightened, so, so what is it then? Why do we meditate? <clears throat> in the Soto sect, which he brought to, to Japan, Zazen, meditation, is not a way of leading to enlightenment, but a religious practice carried out in a state of enlightenment. They, this, is, this is real lateral thinking. This is, I, it really appeals to me, the Zen perspective. It might really irritate you. That's okay. You don't have to like it because there are many different ways of looking at the truth. Kashmir Shaivism is our normal way. But this is very, it's very adorable and beautiful. Uh, <clears throat> he says, uh, Zazen differs from the meditation practiced by the Buddha before his enlightenment. <clears throat> because in that meditation he was striving for enlightenment. The Buddha very famously said, I'm going to sit here until my bones crack, until I reach enlightenment. So he was straining for enlightenment. 
straining. And that most of us, when we meditate, there's an element of striving in it. Uh, but, but it says that Zen, Zen, Zazen is actually similar to the kind of meditation the Buddha practiced after his enlightenment. So you shouldn't meditate like the Buddha before enlightenment, which they were striving, but meditate as the Buddha having been enlightened. And for this Zazen, one fully experiences the bliss of enlightenment itself. <clears throat> and then he goes on to say that Zazen is, in fact, Buddha, Buddhahood. Since Zazen is the practice of the Buddha, those who engage in it are Buddhas. <clears throat> Zazen, which is based upon the peaceful state of mind arising from original enlightenment, is also termed wonderful practice. So let's sit for a moment. Now, you have Buddha nature. In our terms, you have the self within you. In Shaivite terms, you are consciousness, you are Shiva. You have perfect awareness within you. And we've been striving for enlightenment, but now we've attained. We are the Buddha sitting after enlightenment and why do we meditate? Because we do. That's what one does. We sit in the state of peace and enlightenment. This is wonderful practice. <clears throat> he says, Dogen Zenji goes on, in Buddhism, training and enlightenment are the same because this is training of unfolding enlightenment. The training, even at the outset, outset, is all of enlightenment. So simply sitting in meditation is the same as enlightenment. This is how they talk about it. This is what we describe as the identity of original enlightenment and wondrous training. See, there's always a difficulty in spiritual practice of striving. It, it's a, it's, here's the paradox. It's the striving that makes you a seeker, the desire for God, but then the striving itself is the problem and separates you from God. So how do you get around that conundrum? That's one of the issues that every meditator has to face or deal with. <clears throat> And uh, Dogen Zenzi says, although we do not deny the existence of practice and enlightenment, we say that one must not cling to these concepts. This non-attachment we call untainted enlightenment and practice. It is correctly transmitted Buddhism and is characterized by the harmony, not the opposition of enlightenment and practice. So obviously, uh, a man who created this teaching had a lot of mumakshutva, had a lot of desire for attainment. He, his teaching is so much involved with that that it must be that it, that's why he had to come to terms with his own desire to attain, incredible desire to attain. <clears throat> Some may ask, 
Dogen Genji goes on, since enlightenment and practice of one isn't Zazen superfluous. Uh, so the answer is no, of course. It's easy to fall into such erroneous thinking. He says in one of his works, my idea of the untainted man of religion is the person who gives himself completely to Buddhism and leads a religious life without troubling himself about the attainment of enlightenment. There is a, a time that happens in your practice. As you continue your practice, at the beginning there's striving, striving for a goal. And then at some point a, a switch happens and you become happy just to be in relation to the guru and in relation to the self. And you don't care about where you are or where you'll be. You just you see it more as a relationship than as a Olympic contest. <clears throat> he goes on. Uh, Zazen is the basic expression of a religion that emphasizes practice. Once its foundation is firmly laid, it becomes an activity of the Buddha adaptable to our daily life. Since it is a practice resting on enlightenment, it will transform our daily life into a religious one and reveal our tranquil mind of original enlightenment. Isn't that wonderful? Let's sit there for a moment. So, so, so just as Baba used to say, meditate. His teaching is very simple. Meditate on the self, honor the self, worship the self. Every day meditate. Meditate every day. He had so much faith in simply sitting with your own essence. Simply sitting like that. And Dogen Zenji said that when you sit there, you are becoming the Buddha. You're replicating the Buddha's quest and the Buddha's attainment. And you are the Buddha, and you sit there. And actually what happens is there are two things going on. One is the Buddha and the practice, sitting calmly, and inside your personal karma, churning and burning. Two things going on at once. All your thoughts and your desires and your fears are all burning and burning and burning. And then there's the Buddha sitting there in Zazen. And you have to bring those two things in harmony. The Buddha nature has to calm the burning of the personal nature. And gradually in time, because you're sitting there in the essence as the self, this does take place. This happens. <clears throat> okay, so, well, I, well, I spent much too much time on Dogen Zenji because I was going to get to the second part of the program. What will I do, Devi Ma? Uh, you could do part two mm -hmm. next time, or you could. Well, I could. More now. I could do a little more. I'll do a little more because uh, the second part was our old friend and the modern great being of, of this lineage, Suzuki Roshi, who traces his, his uh, lineage back to Dogen Zenji. And we have a picture. A beautiful man. He's a modern, a modern sage. Well, he died, uh, when did he die? Like in the 70s. In the 70s, I think I have it somewhere here. <clears throat> but he, um, he brought 
uh, Zen from Japan to the United States and founded a center in, in the uh, San Francisco area and a very popular center and he was a great teacher. Uh, and we've enjoyed his teachings for many years. So let's, let's dig into, uh, so you got another one? Oh, we have, uh, oh, that's nice. Okay, that's enough. We won't show the other one, yeah. <clears throat> so very similar to uh, what we've been talking about tonight. In this one, Suzuki Roshi is talking on the principle of beingness. Because what is Zazen but becoming one with our own beingness? <clears throat> Suzuki Roshi says, the purpose of Zazen is to attain the freedom of our being physically and mentally. According to Dogen Zenji, Every existence is a flashing into the vast phenomenal world. That's <laughs> a wonderful statement. Every existence is a flashing into the vast phenomenal world. That's a bit of poetry, so I don't want to explain it to you. But think of yourself, you are a, a flashing into the vast phenomenal world. Do you like that one? <clears throat> Ignore it if you hate it. <laughs> Each existence is another expression of the quality of being itself. That explains it in a way. Every existence is unique, and yet every existence partakes of the original beingness. So every one of us is a, a unique expression of divinity. All of us are Shiva. We are all the self and our own form. If we could fully embrace who we are, that would be the most perfect expression. Not to become somebody else or some idealized image of ourselves, but to be fully what we are. <clears throat> so he says, Suzuki Roshi says, I often see many stars early in the morning. The stars are nothing but light, which has traveled at great speed many miles from the heavenly bodies. But for me, the stars are not speedy beings, but calm, steady, and peaceful beings, because it's actually light that's moving at that speed of light. <laughs> but he's saying they're actually calm, steady, and peaceful beings. We say, in calmness, there should be activity. In activity, there should be calmness. When there is harmony in our activity, there is calmness. Where harmony exists, there is calmness. This harmony is the quality of being. But the quality of being is also nothing but true activity. The being of a thing and its activity are the same. So now he's talking about beingness, beingness. <clears throat> he says, when we sit in zazen, we feel calm and serene because of the complete harmony of our physical system. But actually, there may be different kind of activity going on inside our being. That's what I was just referring to. When you do something, if you fix your mind on the activity with some confidence, the quality of your state of mind is the activity itself. 
When you're concentrated on the quality of your being, you are prepared for the activity. Movement is nothing but the quality of our being. When we do zazen, the quality of our calm, steady, serene sitting is the quality of the immense activity of being itself. Gurdjieff used to talk about seven levels of being. He called it man number one to seven. And it was all based on emotional power. The more neurotic we are, the more caught in anger and fear and in grief and in jealousy and worry and anxiety, the weaker our being. The more we become serene and open and loving, the stronger our being and the more we reflect who we really are. So Suzuki Roshi says, in Zen, we pay attention to the quality of our being. When there's harmony of being, there's harmony of action. And harmony means peace, it means emotional peace. This is the perfection of Zen. When being and action are fractured, we have the state of suffering. <clears throat> In the, in the forum, they used to ask, uh, when you get hysterical, what are you being now? It's a very good question. What are you being now? What are you being right now? What are you being now? What are you being now? It's a wonderful question. <clears throat> so our emotional state determines our specific gravity, our beingness in the moment. He goes on, everything is just a flashing into the vast phenomenal world. Means that the freedom of our activity and of our being, if you sit in the right manner with the right understanding, you attain the freedom of your being, even though you're just a temporal existence, you're just a person, temporary. <clears throat> though you are just sitting, your activity is vast. If you sit in, the, in a harmonious posture, then your influence is great. No matter how, and if you're just being angry or afraid of someone, then your influence is not great, it's weak. He said, within this moment, this temporal existence does not change, does not move, and is always independent from, another, from other existences. In the next moment, another existence arises we may change to something else. In Buddhism, there's no connection between I myself yesterday and I myself in this moment. There's no connection whatsoever. Now, you may not agree with that philosophically, but it, it leads to a good understanding that this moment is precious and complete in itself. It bears, in some sense, no relation to any past moment or any future moment. And so if we can fully inhabit this moment, then our being is strong. The problem is we're always living elsewhere. We're always living in the past or living in the future and so on. So he wants us to be fully present in this moment. Dogen Zenji said, charcoal does not become ashes. It's a really wonderful statement. Charcoal does not become ashes. Ashes are ashes. They do not belong to charcoal. 
This is strange uh, lateral thinking. We know that charcoal burns and becomes ashes. But he's saying charcoal has nothing to do with ashes. Ashes has nothing to do with charcoal. Charcoal is charcoal. Ashes are ashes. <clears throat> of course we know that charcoal becomes ashes. We know that too. Ashes are ashes. They do not belong to charcoal. They have their own past and future. They are an independent existence because they are flashing into the vast phenomenal world. And charcoal and red-hot fire are quite different existences. Black charcoal is also a flashing into the vast phenomenal world. Where there is black charcoal, there is not red-hot charcoal. Each thing is an entity in itself. He's calling, it's existential. Everything is an isness. It's not a movement through time. It is what it is in this moment. <clears throat> he says, <clears throat> ashes are independent of firewood. Each existence is independent. Today I'm sitting in Los Altos, which is a town in uh, the Bay Area, San Francisco area. Tomorrow morning, I shall be in San Francisco. For a Buddhist, there's no connection between the I in Los Altos and the I in San Francisco. Now, we would argue with that, but we don't have to. We don't have to argue with it. We can accept the beauty because that concept is a flashing forth into phenomenal existence. And so is the idea that there is a continual self. That's also a beautiful flashing forth. <clears throat> They're quite different beings. This is the freedom of existence. You're an independent being, and I am an independent being. When I say you, there is no I. When I say I, there is no you. You're independent, and I'm independent. Each exists in a different moment. But this does not mean we're quite different beings. We're actually one and the same beings. <laughs> We are the same and yet different. It is very paradoxical, but actually it is so. <clears throat> to enter this world of Zen is a certain kind of uh, headspace you have to get into. It's quite humorous. So don't, and it, uh, it destroys your conceptions because whatever literal conceptions you have, you have to let them go. <clears throat> when I sit, you sit. Everything sits with me. This is zazen, zazen. When you sit, everything sits with you. When you meditate, the whole world meditates. And everything makes up the quality of your being. I am a part of you. I go into the quality of your being. So in this practice, we have absolute liberation from everything else. If you understand this secret, there is no difference between Zen practice and your everyday life. You can interpret everything as you wish. <laughs> and then he, let's see, how are we doing? Do we, let's finish another page. I'll skip this part. Dogen Zenji became interested in Buddhism as a boy as he watched the smoke from an incense stick burning by his dead mother's body. And he felt the evanescence of our life. He saw the incense burning by his dead mother. So he saw his mother's dead, and incense is burning, 
and it's turning to ash. So everything is fleeting. Everything is fleeting. His, this feeling grew within him and finally resulted as an attainment of enlightenment and the development of his deep philosophy. When he saw the smoke from the incense stick and felt the evanescence of life, he felt very lonely. But the lonely feeling became stronger and stronger and flowered into enlightenment when he was 28 years old. And at the moment of enlightenment, he exclaimed, what do you think he exclaimed? I need more incense? No, he said, there is no body and no mind. <laughs> Isn't that great? What will you scream at the moment of enlightenment? I don't think you'll scream that. <clears throat> when he said nobody and no mind, all his being in that moment became a flashing into the vast phenomenal world. A flashing which included everything, which covered everything, and which had immense quality in it. All the phenomenal world was included within it, an absolute independent existence. That was his enlightenment. And this is poetry, too. Starting from the lonely feeling of the evanescence of life, he attained the powerful experience of the quality of his being. He said, I have dropped off mind and body. Because you think you have mind and body, you have lonely feelings. And when you realize that everything is just a flashing into the vast universe, you become very strong and your existence becomes very meaningful. This was Dogen's enlightenment, and this is our practice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you better, if you think laterally, you love that. If you think literally, forget it. Then you're hopelessly confused. And that's okay. If you're hopelessly confused, say, I am hopelessly confused. <laughs> and be one with that, because being confused is honorable. It's a human state, and every great being has been confused. The Buddha was confused. Albert Einstein was confused. Donald Trump has been confused. Everyone is confused, so it's perfectly okay. But be one with it. If you're completely confused, don't try to become unconfused. Just be confused. And then if you just fully enter being confused, it will become lucidity. So let's meditate. <clears throat> We're going to meditate now for 10 minutes. And for tonight in honor of Dogen Zenji and Suzuki Roshi, we're going to meditate. We're going to practice Zazen. We're just sitting. So I'll lead you into meditation. Once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And next week, we'll have the weekend and the intensive, and we'll be celebrating uh, Baba's Maha Samadhi, when Baba left this world. Uh, and so it's a very significant time. I hope you can join us for that. We're going to meditate now for 10 minutes. And we're going to be sitting in Zazen, which means just sit and just be, and sit in a state of peace and harmony. Peace and harmony. 
And if there's agitation there, let that be there. There's also peace and harmony there. Be peaceful with your agitation. Just let it be there. Don't struggle with it. Let it be there and it will settle down the way bubbles settle down in a soft drink when they just sit there. And just sit and feel your beingness and be a flashing forth into the phenomenal existence. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Let's meditate now.